Good to see you all. We're uh, working our way through this book of Acts, and so if you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're in Acts chapter 24 this morning, and you can either look at that on your phone, a Bible from the chair in front of you, or your own, whatever works out best. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one from the chair and keep it for yourself. You can see on the screen here the title for this morning's message, The Problem with Procrastination. And I'm wondering if in this room there's any recovering procrastinators in our group here. Anybody want to acknowledge that here? In fact, if uh, yes, uh, if, uh, if that's you, if you, if you know someone in the room that is a procrastinator, I think that now's the time to give them eye contact directly. And if you are that person, now's the time to look at the floor uh, quietly. But uh, get the idea of procrastination. It's part of uh, most people's experience, especially during the college years. Anybody guilty of that? That's when I, that, I had it down to a science. Here's first off a, a picture of me. Anybody able to identify which one is me? I'm on the far right there. That was... Uh, uh, back when I had hair, and uh, doesn't that doesn't that group just look like a bunch of procrastinators? Like that's what we did, you know, the the whole waiting till the very uh, last minute on projects or assignments or finals week was the absolute worst. You you end up going to Denny's. Anybody pulled any all nighters at Denny's before? <laughs> They had these grand slam breakfasts that you could order at like 3 a.m. It was perfect. And, uh, but I remember the next day, like, oh, man, going in and, and you're just like, you're sweating and you're like, no sleep. And you're like, I got to remember everything. I just, it was the worst. After a while, I got, so I was like, you know, I don't really like procrastination. Anybody come to that conclusion in your life? Why? Because procrastination, what, the reason I don't like it, it because there's always that what? moment of reckoning, right? Where you come to realize that your delayed effort doesn't really pan the same results as if you would have put in the work over an extended period of time or that throbbing headache after a long night up. Whatever it is, you come to realize, man, procrastination doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work, and I'd suggest this, the problem with procrastination is what does it do? Is it presumes on the future, much like debt. It presumes on the future that things aren't going to change. And so often, someday never, ever comes. And here's the problem is it also transfers into our spiritual lives as well as that we have all of these noble someday lists. Someday I'm going to start coming to church more than once a month. Someday, sorry, that was too convicting for some here. Uh, so, someday, someday I'm going to forgive my ex-wife or ex-husband. Someday I'm going to start singing in the church choir. Someday, I don't know what your someday is, someday I'm going to start a quiet time. Someday I'm going to get more serious about my prayer life. Or probably the most scary is someday I'm going to bend a knee and embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's walking the ultimate line, right? The truth is, is that moment of reckoning is coming for all of us. At some point, you see, we can't presume on the future because tomorrow is no guarantee. This last week, I was at the uh, West Hills Police Department. Yes, you might wonder why is the pastor there, but they actually had a, a gathering of uh, clergy and uh, faith leaders in the community, and they gave us a tour and talked about ways that we could be involved. And, and one of the things that they showed us, I don't know if you've seen this, maybe amongst high schoolers, they do this uh, demonstration of a simulated 
car accident. Have you seen it? Scares the crud out of high school students. Have you guys seen this? And they scare you into not texting anymore. But the idea is true is that, man, you don't know in just a moment it can what? All be done. Just completely done. You don't, you don't know, and that's why procrastination is so dangerous. The idea of postponing for tomorrow what should have been done today. What should have been done today. Spiritually, it's a dangerous line to walk. We're going to see in the story of this uh, governor by the name of Felix this morning that he chose to walk that line. And is a, if anything, it's kind of a, a story of caution for us. Let me pray before we explore this. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you this morning and asking for you to change us and shape us. Otherwise, what's the point of our gathering in the study of your word? We ask that you'd speak to us through this text, that your Holy Spirit would be present and moving even in our time now. And for us, that maybe would acknowledge that we have procrastinated on things we know should be happening, that this might be the jolt that's needed this morning through the study of your word. We invite all of that. We ask you to speak to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 24, we're going to start with the first couple verses uh, just to kind of get a, a little setting the stage of this story. And I'm doing the, the whole chapter because really it's just one story and one interaction. Verse 1 of chapter 24, and after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus, Say that to your neighbor, Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. When he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, stop there just for a moment before the accusations start. Basically what's happening here, if you've been in Acts with us, basically Paul's been arrested and wrongfully accused and had all these attempts. He was brought before the Sanhedrin and they were unsuccessful in convicting him. The reason why is because he was able to divide uh, the, the room over kind of sub-theological issues. And so they were unsuccessful there. Then last week we saw there was this plot or, or hopes of actually murdering Paul, that was unsuccessful. So now, one more effort by the high priest to bring a team and literally the A-team to literally convict him in the court system. He brings this secret weapon. I made you say the name, Tertullus. Basically, that was an attorney of his day. The person, if you think about it, who would they pick? They would have picked the very best of the best. I don't know who you bring to mind when you think of a, a attorney. Anybody watch the show Suits? Uh, this is kind of the, the guy that I, that I uh, picture. His name's Harvey Specter, but basically Tertullus was Harvey Specter of that day. I'm sure he wore Armani. I'm sure slick back hair and very white teeth. Sorry for the stereotypes if you're in law, but you get the idea here. He was equipped where he does not lose. One of those guys. He knows just the way to present things. He's an excellent communicator, and he's going to bring the case before the governor to convict Paul and ultimately with the hopes of taking his life. So this is a pretty intense moment where he's coming before the governor, and as he's slick and pre his pre beginning his presentation, he starts with some legit uh, buttering up. Let's see if you notice it there in the text. Since through you... We enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, and in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. 
For we have found this man a plague who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything to which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. So he starts off laying it on thick. Any parents recognize this? When your children want something, all of a sudden you're the best dad ever. You get all the snuggles you've been waiting for forever. And yes, all that for a pair of checkered vans. But you, get, you see, in this case, in this case, they're laying it on thick and he's buttering up. And the question is, he's using terms like most excellent Felix. You know, like, can you imagine if that was a term used for, for us today? Like, most excellent Felix, most excellent John. Doesn't that sound nice? Has a nice ring to it. But here's the idea. He's laying it on think, and is it based on accuracy? Is it based on accuracy? First off, let's think about some of those different things. If you look into a little bit about this Felix character, he was born a slave, but known to be an amazing womanizer, basically a gigolo of his time. He moved up the social ladder through strategic marriages. He, now his wife, her name is Drusilla. That's a fun one. Drusilla was actually his third marriage, and they believe that because of this marriage is how he came into power as a governor. So he's in that position, not well liked. Basically, his mark in time as governor was known for his cruelty and his lust. And ultimately, he was relieved by Emperor Nero in 59 AD for his inept leadership. So basically, all this kind of flowery speech, not really well representing reality. He points to him for bringing peace and reforms. Peace. Now, if you know anything about the culture during that time, peace would not have been a description of that time. Reforms were non-existent. And then when he uses these terms, he says, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. So he's speaking for all the Jews everywhere. All, the only thing that comes to mind for the Jew when they think of the Romans is gratitude. So thankful for them and their leadership and all they've brought to the, the city. And the t Do you think that's accurate? Interpretation by voting, is that false? You see, see, this is all buttering up. And then he starts into basically his accusations. You see him there in the text. First off, he accuses of him of stirring up rebellion. For Romans, he knew that was going to be a hot thing because their primary thing was to try to keep peace so that people would be quiet and keep paying taxes, much like the United States. Sorry, I got that in there. But the idea, keeping peace, so you just keep paying taxes and doing what you're supposed to do, quietly existing. So here was his first idea, was stirring up rebellion, accusation, starting a new religious sect, which was a breach of Jewish law. He's saying that the way was a new sect of religion, so that accusation was a big one. And the third one, that he was desecrating the temple, which was not just breaking their law, but also God's law. So all of these things were accusations against him, the basis of which they thought they should be bringing Paul down. They describe him, he describes him as the ringleader of the sect of Nazarenes. If 
you know anything about that culture, Nazareth was not known as like the best place. It was kind of the Fresno of that day. Did I just say that? Sorry. My best friend lives in Fresno. Uh, but anyway, but the idea here was they're associating if Jesus was from Nazareth, then all of these followers must be from this. So it's kind of an underhanded slam, if you will. So kind of in this effort, they're trying as best as possible. He's trying as best as possible to paint this miserable picture of Paul. But the major thing lacking in this presentation, anybody identify it? What's lacking? This little thing that's needed in court. It's called evidence. Evidence. It's an important thing I understand in court processes to have evidence for a basis for your claims against someone. And that's where they're kind of falling short, lacking that. So he brings this before him and says, hey, you can, he does an interesting thing at the end of that presentation. You can ask Paul because Paul's pretty good at convicting himself. He's not really concerned about being politically correct. So let's see what Paul has to say. So here, Paul, he's heard this presentation, obviously made up of fabrications. And here's the interesting thing. You probably realize this about your, your own self is God's given inside each one of us the ability to identify baloney. Do you guys notice that in your own life? Your ability, when somebody's shooting you a line, like how good are you at being like, ah, they're full of it. You know, like there's something in us that God's given with the ability to kind of see through that. So you wonder if Felix is just like, I wasn't born yesterday. I smell what's being laid here. Basically, here Paul responds, verse 10. Now we're going to hear the truth. When the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Notice what happens there. Zero flattery. There's, there's no buttering up. All he acknowledges, I just noticed that you've been doing this a really long time. Followed with nothing. So can you imagine if somebody's like, yeah, I've heard you've worked at your job for a really long time. No acknowledgement to whether he's done well, done poorly, and any successes. Basically, he's, if anything, just saying, hey, you've been around the block, so I'm hoping you can actually speak some truth to this situation. Verse 11 says, you can verify, look at this, he's pointing to facts, verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, pointing to facts. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can you prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards God and man. Basically pointing out to all the facts of the case. I've only been in there 12 days. I haven't caused any riots, no disputes, no anything. They can't point to any misconduct. Then he clarifies misconceptions about the way. He says, listen, this thing that you call a sect, the way, we believe in the exact same God that our forefathers did. We follow the same law. We believe in the same prophets. We, we, we hold to the same basis of truth. He's pointing and diffusing the idea that it was something new he was introducing. And it points to the fact that they hold to the same truths. He says they, they themselves accept this. But then he points to the one area in which they part ways is the fact that he says that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. 
the Pharisees and Sadducees were separated over this. And it's believed that the high priest believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. So this was an area of tension that he's pointing out there in the, in the case. Verse 17 continues just pointing to facts. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation. Should they have anything against me? Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this, one thing that I cried out while standing among them it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So he basically lays out the facts, once again, saying, I came to Israel, I came to give alms. If you guys have been in the, in the story of Acts for a while, he just showed up to actually help financially support struggling Jews in that area. It's like, I just came to do that. They found me cleansed and following all the processes that I'm supposed to. So he's kind of pointing to the facts. And then the interesting thing that he identifies, do you see it there in the text? He says, now, where are the people that had any accusations against me? Were the Asian Jews that had actually had claims against me, they seem to be nowhere to be found. Now, if you're familiar with any kind of a court process, if the accuser is not there, what happens? The case is kind of shot, right? In the same way that I'm a recovering procrastinator, I'm also a recovering speeder in my car. Any others uh, admit to that? I have a tendency to drive a little faster than one should. In high school, it was really amplified. And I got a number of tickets. Sorry, Dad, you're hearing this right now. A lot of tickets. And went to, in Illinois, they had what they had called driver safety school, which they had a, a four-hour program. You couldn't do it online. This was before that. You had to go sit there for four hours. Then they had, this was the ultimate. They had the eight-hour driver safety school. I've been through the four-hour, to the eight-hour, to the four-hour again, to the eight-hour again, to the four-hour. I'd been through, I could fill in the blanks before they got to the next point they were bringing up. But here is the thing. I got one ticket where they said, sorry, man, you've been to, through all these traffic. You're just going to have to go to court. I'm like, oh, man, this is about to get serious. I show up in court. I'm waiting. My heart's pounding. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to lose my license for sure. And I'm looking, and as the cops are walking in, they're walking in one at a time. I'm like, I don't see the one that pulled me over. I was like, ha, he's nowhere to be found. So when my name was brought up, I listened to these magical words. They said, the city of Melrose Park has chosen to dismiss this case. Whew. I drove here to church probably because of that freedom uh, the, the, in, that, in that moment. But you see, what we know in court process, if there's nobody with claims against you, then there's no case. That's the joke of this situation. So even this corrupt Felix, I'm sure after he's experienced all the things that he's experienced and going through, he knows that this is just a sham. He recognized that. But here's the problem. He also knows that if, and Paul points to the fact, I'm just here before you because of my belief in the resurrection. He knows that if he opposes the Jew, what the Jews, what does that have potential to do? cause unrest. And remember, they just want to keep them happy, content, and paying taxes. So there's a lot at risk here. We're going to see how he chooses to respond. Any guesses based on our title? But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, look at these three words, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. 
Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So you see it right there in the text. His choice is to what? Chooses to postpone. Postpone. To just put it off. You know, when Lysias, when he gets here, Lysias had pushed it off to him, which is kind of ironic, and he's not like, now I'll just wait for Lysias. Basically, this cycle of postponement, and that's so often how we as a people group tend to respond to what? Difficult situations. When something comes up that we don't want to deal with, we're like, you know what? I'll do that next week. That email that you haven't responded to yet, that text that you haven't responded to. What do we do? We tend to postpone things that are uncomfortable. The problem is, again, that ripples into our spiritual lives as well. Ripples into that that world where you're just like, someday I'm going to deal with this whole God thing. Someday I'm going to get around to it. Someday. And here, again, as I stated at the beginning, the problem with someday is it often doesn't come. So often, it's something that's a near-death situation that's the only thing that rattles our cage enough to think about things of eternal nature, right? This uh, last week, I was reading an article that was describing, I don't know if uh, you guys remember this singer, pop singer, her name's Avril Lavigne. Anybody uh, remember Avril Lavigne? She had some uh, top songs, kind of 2014, 15, in that range. Then she, over the last couple years, just kind of disappeared off the radar. She was kind of the uh, picture or the poster child for teenage angst. And, uh, and basically, she disappeared off the radar. And there's all this kind of like, whoa, what happened to her? What happened to her? It recently came out that she actually got Lyme's disease, which was literally threatening her life. It's interesting reading the story, the article about her, and in that period of time that she describes a time where she literally thought she wasn't going to make it through the night. She was laying in bed with her mom holding her, which is a pretty powerful scene, with her mom still holding her, and in those moments, she started penning the words to a song called Head Above Water. Or she realized, man, I'm, I'm desperately needing rescue. I want to just play just a couple clips to this and see if you can relate to, to maybe some of these lyrics. And my voice becomes a driving force. I won't let this pull me overboard. God, keep my head above water. Pretty interesting in her realization that, whoa, this does come to a conclusion. There is an end day. All of a sudden, there's a, oh, I don't, can't postpone this anymore. Oh, that we would be a people that didn't keep putting off spiritual related things. Here, Felix, in, his, in that moment, chose to postpone. It says that he left Paul where? In prison for now another Two years, we sang this song about waiting. Talk about waiting. Two years longer in prison. But the cool thing is, do you think uh, Paul maximized that time? Actually, this was when Paul wrote some of his best sellers. One called Ephesians. One called Philippians. One called Colossians. One called Philemon. All written during that time period. Did you guys know this, that the Bible, every single year since they track books being sold, is always the best seller? 
There's nothing even close to the Bible in sales, which is kind of cool. Nobody ever talks about that side point. But anyway, he's there. He decides to leave him in prison. But look at verse 24. This is a funny thing about truth is what a magnet it is to those around us. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Pretty interesting interaction there or a turn of events. The thing that I found fascinating is there's something about us in the same way that we can identify when we're being fed baloney. God's also given us the innate ability to identify truth, to be drawn to it. When there's something true, you're just like, oh man, there, uh, there's something that's drawing this man, uh, Felix, to come out of the woodworks to actually hear what's being presented by Paul. Some years back, we had different teams that would go out to uh, the, these different malls and do different outreach events with young adults and all these great interactions with people. And I remember one time I ran, which was rare, one time I ran into the same guy that I had talked to two weeks prior at another outreach event. I was interacting. I was like, oh, it's so great to see you. And in, in the conversation, I got to ask him, I said, have you had any chance to give any thought to some of the things we talked about? Because we had a wonderful uh, conversation about Christ, eternity, all this stuff. And he said, give any thought. He's like, I haven't stopped thinking about it. We don't understand the power that there is in the gospel message. People are drawn to it. When they're just laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering what is the point of all this? What happens when we breathe our last breath? All of these questions about eternity, about our, our sin, about consequences, all of that stuff we're drawn to like a magnet. And in this case, they wanted to hear more. It's interesting, you learn a little bit about Drusilla. Drusilla was Jewish in descent, but actually related to a number of key people in the Bible. Her father, King Herod I, killed the apostle James in Acts 12. Her great uncle, Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist. And her great grandfather, Herod the Great, killed many innocent children in Bethlehem in an attempt to take Jesus' life. So she had a background. Uh, she knew about the way. She was very familiar with it. It was a family thing to oppose it. But here she's drawn and she comes out with her husband to hear about what does faith in Christ look like. And look at what's described there. It says that Paul talked about righteousness. What's righteousness? The idea that we have a God that made us with a standard to follow. And we cannot meet that standard. We always fall short of it. And that's the idea that he points to with self-control. We can't do it no matter how hard you try. And then the part that probably turned the conversation in a little bit of a negative direction. Remember we talked about this being a tough pill for us to swallow. The idea of coming judgment. All of those things. All of a sudden, what do we see that Felix's response? He says, go away for me for the present. When I get an opportunity... I will summon you. In other words, don't call me, 
I'll call you, right? How many of us have heard that one? Well, we'll eventually we're going to deal with this. Someday I'll deal with this. Someday uh, after I'm done postponing, when I get a chance to slow down, then I'll actually address the spiritual concerns. And unfortunately, he was shaken but unmoved. Shaken but unmoved. Before we're too quick to judge him on this, how often, if you think about your own spiritual life, have you had the Holy Spirit or God working in your life and there's something that he shakes in you, there's something that he convicts in you, there's something that he stirs, but then you just kind of go back into getting busy and kind of going back to routine. Oh man, I, I should someday, someday I should write a letter to my son that I haven't talked to. Man, telling my heart about him and the Lord, someday I need to forgive my ex-wife, someday I need to address this habitual sin in my life. Someday I need to get serious about a quiet time in my life. Someday, all of your someday's that keep getting postponed before we're too quick to judge him, maybe we should reflect ourselves on some of our own someday's. I know when I was working through this this week, the conviction set in for me, my own someday's. What's on my someday list? I'm going to take a, a moment just as we're wrapping up and before I close in prayer, I feel like a, a topic of procrastination and spiritual things, it wouldn't be appropriate to actually move on without giving us a, just a moment to reflect. So I invite you to put your, your bow your heads, close your eyes, give a, a few moments of thought. What is it that the Holy Spirit's been pursuing you about for your someday? Or probably the biggest thing for someone in this room, maybe the better question, maybe the person that's postponed embracing Jesus Christ's death as payment for your sin. Or you look across the landscape of your life and you're like, I've never bent a knee. I've never accepted that free gift. I'm just kind of blazing the trail on my own. I've never, I keep postponing it, I keep postponing it. I want to invite that person in these moments where we're being quiet, where Chad's just playing in the background, for that person to literally take a step of boldness, literally standing up and saying these two words, I'm in, I guess that's three, I am in, I embrace what Jesus Christ has done. So there's the invite for those of you that maybe you've already made that decision, just be quiet before the Lord and reflect on what maybe he stirred on you that you need to finally act on. For those of you that have never embraced Jesus Christ, that's the question for you. Will you make the choice here on this Sunday to make the choice to say, I'm in, I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'll be quiet while you consider those things. for anyone maybe in this room that you've kind of delayed that decision of accepting Christ for a long, long time. You've heard the truth, you know the truth, but you've postponed responding to the truth. In these moments of quiet, man, it'd be amazing. And this church would celebrate with you if you made the choice to say, I'm in. And just by boldly standing up and saying those three words, I am in, 
I embrace what Jesus did on the cross. I accept that free gift. I realize I can't solve it on my own. One more moment for anyone that wants to make that decision before I pray in closing. God, we thank you for this chance to be in your word and this cautionary tale of procrastination. If anyone's like me in this room, they have their things that you've nudged us about for a long time. I pray that this would be the week where we get serious about response, that we wouldn't just keep adding up more and more postponements. I thank you for your grace and your patience. We're fully dependent for you in all of this, not just for the conviction, but also for the power to respond. God, so we ask for that in our lives, God. And even if that were a first step this morning, just the request for you to keep pushing would be amazing. Now we sing out just declarations about your goodness and your rescue in our life. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. A couple of things just as we're leaving today. One is if we can be praying for you for something specific, we'll have a few volunteers here following the service. Second is if there's a way, if, if you've been wrestling through this decision to follow Jesus Christ or give your life to Christ, I'd be thrilled to chat with you following the service about that and what that decision looks like. It'd be a real treat to do that. Lastly is that once a month we have an opportunity to give towards our deacons fund, which supports people within our own church and those in the surrounding area to help them financially. You're welcome to give to that as you leave today. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.